A mother in Yuma, Arizona is desperately seeking answers nearly a decade after her 19-year-old daughter went missing. I'm just begging and pleading for somebody to please help us, help us find her. He used to own Black Rose, so he had construction below his trailer. He had like a hole there. I was like, dude, that guy? No way. I knew he was weird, especially with young ladies, but I didn't know he was, you know. But that's the thing. You never know with anybody. I'm El Marquis, and this is Rural Gothic, a podcast about small towns with big crimes. And right now, I'm trying to find out once and for all what happened to Emily Heber. In last week's episode, we heard from my friend Charlie, who knows Chad really well. Chad is the guy a couple of people have rumored has something to do with Emily's disappearance. Charlie had some pretty damning things to say about him, including that he potentially has friends in law enforcement. I knew there was one thing left to do, and that was to talk to Chad himself and ask him what he knows about Emily Heber. So, initially this podcast was loosely based on the scene and, like, Yuma's weird history with criminals and police stuff. But the more I started asking around the more people wanted to talk about Emily Heber and her disappearance. So at this point, I'm just working my way down the 163 people on the list of people. And I'm one of them. Is that something that you can talk about? I spent an extra six months in jail. But, you know, on the other hand, it's kind of one of the reasons I'm still clean and sober today. Oh, my gosh. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and how it affected you? Uh, there was several different things at the period of time where I was using that, you know, I was witness to the disappearance of Emily, a 14-year-old girl getting ran over by a car on 24th and B. Um, just in a short time? Period, well, it was about a six-month period of time, and there was a lot of people dying and a lot of bad things happening. So, right. you know, I chose to try to get into drug court, in which I succeeded, but it took four years of my life to get back on track. Oh my gosh. So, after losing everything. Well, how did that come about? My, my addiction. I, 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 I hooked up with this girl, and she said we were going to just do it on the weekends. And right. I'm just not that type of addict, and ended right. up losing all my cars, all my houses. All, you know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And about a year and a half, I was homeless. And so, you know, going from owning a venue and being, you know, a pillar of the community and everything to homeless, which was hard for me to, um, you know, I I just don't understand, like, you know, and how somebody that was so well known just up and disappear. Yeah. And it still bugs me because, I mean, we kind of ended on our friendship on bad terms. Oh, no. Because everybody was robbing and stealing my house, you know what I mean, and everything. So it was coming up on my birthday, and a friend of mine said, hey, you need to lock your house up and just leave. So that's what I did. And everybody had to go find other places to go party and whatever. So I just locked the doors and spent about two weeks with a best friend of mine. I see. Just because there was a lot of, like, break-ins at the time? There was just too many, too much traffic, too much robbing. Um, and this is obviously very near to me because you know my my family situation, but the story is partly becoming about people's experience 
with addiction during that time because a lot of the people that I'm talking to are sober now. Right. So anything you want to talk about in regards to that, it's, it's, it's fine to do that. And like I said, if you f- feel like you don't want to share publicly, we can change your name. But what was the experience like when the police questioned you? It blew my mind, actually, because I had a detective right in my living room with a whole bunch of paraphernalia and drugs laying around. Oh and gosh. he was like, Did they I have a warrant? I, yeah, no. Huh. They just wanted to know what happened. Yeah. And I, so I told him, you know, I locked up my house and. Like around the time that she vanished. Like bef- this was three days before she disappeared. Three days before she disappeared, you just kind of were like, everything's getting hot, I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Got it. Okay, that's interesting because one of my questions was just like pretty much what you're answering, but what was the general energy in the scene around that time that she disappeared? Bad. (laughs) It wasn't good. Yeah. It wasn't good. It seems like that was like the peak of just the toxicity in in the meth underbelly. Well, I think it was probably it's, I don't know, it it was weird. Yeah. It, I, I was born and raised in this town, and it just never was like that. Same. And, and it was like a nightmare. It was bad. It was just not fun. Then I, I just wanted to get out and change my life. Yeah. I felt that change coming about two years before, and that's when I moved out because I was just like pretty much all of my friends. There was home invasions. There was all these robbing going on. So, I mean, when this guy came over with a gun and cleaned me out uh, at gunpoint, that's when I was like, man, this is just, you know, some BS. You're like, I ain't gonna live my life this way. You know what I mean? And it was a friend of mine that, you know, that, you know told him where I lived. From 2009 to 2011 is my period. It started from a solar field job. I was doing the Agua Caliente solar field. That's pretty common, especially like if people have like overnight shifts yeah, or something. It was horrible. Yeah. And yeah, because mm. I was too tired to do anything with that girlfriend, so she was like, "Let's just do it on the weekends." And I was just like, uh, "Okay." <laughs> Famous last words. Yeah. And you know. I don't know, it got me, it got me bad. And I wasn't proud of anything, the things I was doing. I was robbing for my grandmother and my dad. You know, it it was bad. And it wasn't even fun. You know what I mean? It used to be fun and you could do like little projects or anything, but you're always too sketched out or Mm -hmm. too many people around you. So it wasn't, wasn't fun. Okay, well you said that the police questioned you and you lost six months of your life. Did yeah, they harass they you were, for six months? They or? kept going through my trailer, you know, because they thought that she was buried underneath my trailer. Uh, and that's what they were told by friends of mine. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that's, that's so wrong. You know what I mean? They brought those human sniffing dogs and everything and went through. And they didn't, you know, and I, I mean, it was drugs everywhere it took me almost six months to clean that trailer out but they didn't get caps and syringes and oh my gosh you know what i mean just you know they didn't care about any of that stuff so they didn't get you for the drugs there no but they already had me on the thing and i was going to drug court anyway so i see i see but yeah they did 
uh, investigate my trailer several different times while I was in jail. But, you know, it wasn't a good lead. Right. I mean, it was just some tweakers talking. I mean, I think that's the biggest trouble with this story is that everybody involved was Nobody on meth at the time. Nobody knows the truth. And I can't, I've never been told the truth, so. Right. You know. I guess that was my other question was, do you know any, have you heard any rumors that seem like they could be true? Uh, six, seven, eight months ago, I heard that somebody in town goes to see her in San Diego. Huh. Yeah. And that's, I don't know how true that is. Right. And you don't. You know, because I don't know. I don't really feel that, I don't know. I ain't yeah. going to speculate because I really don't know, but it just doesn't seem like a true story to me. I mean, I just feel like if she's gone this long, her she would have tried to the reach out. The family or something. You know what I mean? Did you ever see her dog after she vanished? No. That's the weird thing to me is that her dog is gone too. She didn't ever bring that dog over. So you think did the dog not, was missing before she went missing? Did not have a dog with her. I See, my dad's really like, Against pets, so the whole trailer park's pet-free and has been. Oh, it was your dad's trailer park? Uh-huh. Got it, okay. I've lived in the same place since the dawn of time. <laughs> You're still there? Yeah, 93. Nice. Yuma's pretty bad. <laughs> I almost got shot and killed. Yeah, Yuma's kind of always been a rowdy place. I mean, you know, to me, it's like, mm, I don't know how worse it is. Because there was a lot of bad things in the 90s, too. Other than, you know, but I think, you know, the shootings are definitely up. But other than just violentness is, you know, it's always been rough. This is why I wanted to do a podcast about that, because I, after I moved, I'd just tell these stories like it was normal. And people were like, what, what? the fuck yeah, are you talking? Right. Like, people thought I was making shit Yuma up. And I'm like, no. its own <laughs> galaxy. It really is. Yeah. And people just don't know that. I've traveled, so, I mean, I just know. The way people here are comfortable with violence and kind of still glorify crime because of its relationship with like the pride of the criminal is so unique. It doesn't it doesn't really exist anywhere else. Also the location with like Mexico right there, California. It's just ripe for this weird vortex of I never could figure it out. Yeah. Because, I mean, I'm sitting here going, all these drugs and all this craziness going on. And we've got, like, military base. Right. Third largest runway. You know, top secret military installations. Right. You know, and 17 different law enforcement agencies. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. What do you mean? There's 17 because or of all so the different counties and we've got the, the two, out of Yuma, Arizona. Yeah, we've got the Navajo, the Kachan cops, US Marshals, witness right. protection, border patrol, active active in Yuma County. We have a United States District Courthouse where they 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 put terrorists on trial right here off of 1st Street. Yeah. True story. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, you know, I could never, you know, I don't know. I, I've seen some weird things in the back in the day, and, and it's, you know, I probably ain't going to talk on all that. It's all right, yeah. So you, knew, you knew Emily? I did. She lived at, lived she at my trailer for about, I don't know, two months. How did you meet her? I met that her through my, my, de- my, my drug dealer. She was your drug dealer? No, oh, her sorry. boyfriend was. And so he used to get me high for letting her stay there because he couldn't take her home because his wife was home. 
Was it Carlos? I think it was. Okay. He lived out of Tucson. Oh. Do you remember his name? Not really. Like, it, you know, I was on a lot of drugs. All I know is, you know, they were seeing each other. And I knew him prior to meeting her, but I met her before when I I was with that one girl that got, you know, and I was living off the trailer park. And a friend of mine brought her over one night. And that's when I first met her. So, like, you know, because I met her there, six, seven months later, it was like, oh, okay. I'll work that deal. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. But, you know, she, she'd bring a lot of riffraff over and stuff like that. What was that? Stealing, like, you know, I had a whole bunch of CDs from the coffee shop of all the different bands that played, and she took it. Yeah. That one CD I kept was Shattered Realm. But she took Job for Cowboy. You know, it was all, I kept them all in the same spot. And it was like 200 CDs. And I was kind of mad about that, but, you know, not that mad, you know. Can you say anything about her personality or what she was like? I mean, the good and the bad? Well, you know, I mean, she was just a messed up kid on drugs. I mean, I didn't see anything that I haven't seen a million times. So, I mean, my biggest question is why her? Like, you know, why disappear? You know what I mean? Why? Because it doesn't make any sense to me because there's a hundred of those kids running around you know what I mean and and yeah I mean I don't know yeah I guess you just don't ever know because I mean it's not the first like murder case that I've known about being a cab driver you hear a lot and see a lot so you always could ask why you know I mean these things happen but they just do I mean I think like anything else like that it's usually not even planned. It's just like a heat of the moment thing. Or, I mean, she could have been could have been an OD even, and people freaked be? out and covered it up. I mean, my oldest daughter, her dad was OD'd. They wrapped him up in a sleeping bag and put him on 20th Street and 4th Avenue for three days. And he was dead, and I had to tell a seven-year-old girl her dad was dead. <sighs> and that was my daughter's sister. And that was tough. And it was all over the news. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the ODs have happened. I mean, they happen a lot. <laughs> yeah. Well, there That's is... another reason why it's like, man, there's not too many of my friends left. Same. There's really not. Okay, I have two more questions for you. I want to circle back and just, when the police were just kind of bothering you for a few months... You weren't held or charged, or obviously you weren't charged, but you weren't like held or anything during that time. Or were you? Okay, cool. And then do you recall anyone acting suspiciously around that time? Or like, you know, anybody that- I was on drugs, everybody was suspicious looking. To me, they're very, oh, look at that guy. He's going through the mailbox. What is he up to? He's spying on us. Yeah. Well, at the time, was there any like talk that seemed louder than the rest? Like any rumors or any just theories that people had around that time? Anybody that like just took off? I thought it was very weird when I was sitting in jail that like just pretty much, I don't know, there was like an abundance of us that knew her. I mean, it wasn't. A small number. An abundance of what? People in jail that knew her. Oh. 
And you went... We were all in the, you know, in the pods and going through the system at the same time. Right, yeah. And uh, the only time I've ever seen anything like that was the meth roundup of 93, where we were all sitting around going, what happened? <laughs> what, what, what do you mean the meth roundup of 93? Did they just arrest a lot of people? Uh, yeah, were... it was like two or 300 of us. And oh. we filled up the jail, and we all knew each other and, and were dealings with each other. And it was Weird. like, yeah, it was super strange. Because all of a sudden we were on the streets, and then everybody was in there. So around the time of Emily's disappearance, they just took a bunch of people to jail to question them all at the same time? Ah, uh, no, there were charges. Like, uh, like four or five of us went through the same drug court. Oh, went through drug court. Yeah. Because they, oh, I get other it. Other so charges. They, right, so they got you on other charges in order to talk to you in there. They never, they came once. I see. To let me know that they went through my trailer, and that was it. I see. And I was on a... I was a suspect, and I was just like, you know, well, that's fine. I have nothing to do with any of that. It's not, mm -hmm. you know, I was trying to run away from all of that and change my, you know what I mean? That's yeah. what I'm doing, you know, I'm in jail trying to straighten up my life. Right. And that's what I did. And that It's been about, you know, eight years. So you feel like that experience kind of shook you up enough to be like, okay, I got to get sober and yes. fix things. Because if somebody as popular as her can just up and disappear like that, who's next? I didn't want to be next. So, therefore, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go change things. Because I didn't like anything that was going on, you know? It was just, you know, I don't know. It wasn't fun. It wasn't making me any money. And I just choose to live. And that's what I've been doing. I've picked myself back up, and now I'm a manager, and... Hell yeah. And barely making it, but I'm still making it. So, yeah. you know, I've done a lot of good. I was a peer support for a couple years at TLC. Are you sober now? Mm -hmm. That doesn't have to be. Oh, you are. Oh, right on. That's cool. Yeah. I'm actually back in my motorcycle club with Sober Riders. Congrats. That's, that's awesome. So, yeah. I mean, it's life, but I mean, you know... I, I'm still doing way better. That's great. And it was hard because there for a long time that I was around the cab drivers and the cabs, there was a lot of lot of drugs around. And I didn't relapse then either. I wasn't going back for nothing. And I ain't, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I just too shooken up over those events that, you know, I just, I think it's irresponsible to use drugs anymore. Yeah. I think you're, you know, out of your minds when you're on it. You know, and that's the bottom line. Well, is there anything you want to add? That's pretty much it, if that's all the questions you got for me. That's all I have, yeah. I mean, we can keep in touch, but I really appreciate you talking with me. She comes to mind every now and then. Yeah. And it, it still kind of bothers me. Yeah. I can imagine. I don't know. It's kind of a sad, it's just sad. I've got a little four-year-old and, you know, I grew up here and I think of that, you know, how unsafe, you know, am I? I know, yeah. There's that fear, you know, from these, especially when something's unsolved and you don't know what happened. I mean, sure, it could be an OD, people are covering it up, but there could be somebody out there that did something to her that's just, 
walking around or just... Well, this town has changed. I mean, it's not like the close-knit. I went to the fair, and I was thinking, man, I only know five people. Um, I know people, this is random, but I know people called Emily Hippie, but was she, like, in the involved and like did she go to shows was she kind of like in the scene a little bit in that well, way well i don't just think drugs? it was a real good scene at that time it was just kind of everybody was just like it was one house or another house or this house or that house there's a lot of different things that go on in this town that nobody knows about so is there anything else you want to say before we bounce no that's about it thank you so much for talking with me yeah all right well we'll get you out of here okay thank you so much I'm not sure if you could tell, but that was really scary for me. Fortunately, I wasn't alone. My friend Josh came with me from LA to help with these interviews in Yuma. He's the other voice you can hear chiming in at times to help me stay on track. The moment Chad said he witnessed Emily's disappearance, I froze. It felt like all the blood ran out of my veins and suddenly I was freezing cold. Josh and I shot each other a quick glance and I knew we both felt it. We felt like Chad could actually be involved. From that point on, I was disassociating a lot during the interview. My instincts just told me to make him feel safe. I tried to make myself as non-threatening as possible. I decided to let almost the entire interview play out for you so you can make your own assessments about him and his culpability. Another thing that was complicated about this for me is that Chad is kind of a likable guy. It's hard to imagine that someone like him could have done something truly evil. Here's the thing though. I consume a lot of true crime media, and from what I've learned, there's a few things that usually mean someone is likely involved with a crime. One, we've all heard the saying, the husband did it. But really, it's just whatever man lives in the house with the victim. Even the police and the PI I spoke to didn't have a known address for Emily. So far, Chad is the only person who knows where Emily was living when she vanished, and it was with him. Secondly, he claims he went out of town three days before she vanished and was out of town for two weeks during her initial disappearance. Again, we only know when she stopped posting on Facebook, but we don't actually have a hard disappearance date. Sure, we can surmise that something happened to her the day she stopped posting, but Chad is the only one so far to say he knows specifically when she vanished. It's also odd to me that he mentioned someone he knows visits her in San Diego. And lastly, the moment he started saying why her and tried to say Emily was essentially a dime a dozen, if he really felt that way about her, Why would her disappearance freak him out so much that it caused him to become sober and stay sober for the last 10 years? I feel like we've spent this entire podcast explaining why her, why Emily. Emily wasn't just a drugged out kid. She was dynamic, vivacious, charismatic. Everyone who we've spoken to who knows her knows how special she is. So why would someone who knew her so well he let her live with him? try to minimize how important she was. Now I need to be clear and say I'm not saying Chad did anything. I have no idea what happened, and I was too scared to ask specific questions. But I am saying I get the sense he knows something. Out of everyone I've spoken to, I've never felt closer to the truth. I'm going to take a few weeks off to try to get funding to finish the show, 
But I want to tell you that there's no mention of Chad's trailer being searched in the police report. I need to follow up with the detective to confirm whether or not that's true, and I want to ask Chad what he meant when he said he was witness to Emily's disappearance. Before my break, there's one more thing I want to share with you. There may have been someone else living in the trailer with Chad at the time of Emily's disappearance. A couple of people we interviewed referenced this person, including Chad, but I didn't want to include them in the show unless I was able to talk to them myself. Because I happen to know this person better than anyone else we've spoken to so far. After months of trying to get this individual to talk with me, just before this episode was written and recorded, they agreed to meet up, but only if I agreed, we wouldn't talk about Emily Heber. The whole night was strange, but what's important is that at some point towards the end of our hang, I gathered the courage to let them know that someone we spoke to mentioned they might have lived in the trailer with Chad, and I wanted to give them an opportunity to tell their version of events. The only thing they said in response was something along the lines of, Keep me out of your fucking show. Don't include me in any of the interviews where people mention me, even if you change my name. I've been to prison, and I don't want to go back. If you know what's fucking good for you, you'll keep me out of it. After that exchange, I asked my friend Charlie from last week's episode what they thought of it. And he said it makes sense that this individual would be involved, and if they are, it doesn't matter if they go to prison or if they live in another state. That person would spend the rest of their life trying to kill me. I want to take a moment to remind you that Emily Heber is a real girl who is still missing and her family needs answers. A real way you can help right now is by subscribing to this podcast, Rural Gothic, and by rating and reviewing and sharing it with everyone you know. If you know anything at all about Emily Heber's disappearance, you can contact the Yuma Police Department. If you have any information you feel more comfortable sharing with me, you can email me at ruralgothicpod at gmail.com. I can keep your identity hidden from the public, but keep in mind, I share everything I learn about this investigation with the Yuma Police Department. I want to thank Jenny Jimenez for trusting me with her daughter Emily's story, and to all of Emily's friends and family for their participation. A special thanks to Zach Schwartz for editing and for playing the role of Charlie. Manish Matahar and Izzy Fontaine for the original score, and Izzy Fontaine for music directing, to Jam Cole for production assistance, and to Joshua Onzano for production assistance and their help in this episode. Sources for all our episodes can be found in the show notes. I'll see y'all next time on Rural Gothic.